Chapter 5 The Great Attraction The Uplifted Christ And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. John chapter 12, verse 32 A recent advertisement of a Sunday evening service in one of our American cities stated that there would be three attractions. A high-class movie, a popular gospel pianist and his wife, and a song from the opera Madame Butterfly, rendered by a well-known prima donna. It is startling when an unusually gifted and popular preacher or his advertising committee thinks the gospel of the Son of God has lost its power to draw, so it must be bolstered by adding a selection from a questionable opera rendered by a professional opera singer to help our once-crucified and now-glorified Savior and Lord. This advertisement set me to thinking. What really was the great attraction to men today as well as in former days? At once there came to my mind the words of our text containing God's answer to this question. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Nothing draws like the uplifted Christ. Movies may get a crowd of empty-headed and empty-hearted young men, women, and even middle-aged folks without brains or moral earnestness for a time, but nothing really draws and holds the men and women who are worthwhile like Jesus Christ lifted up. Nineteen centuries of Christian history prove the drawing power of Jesus when he is properly presented to men. I have seen some wonderful verifications of the assertion of our text as to the marvelous drawing power of the uplifted Christ. In London for two continuous months, six afternoons and evenings each week, I saw the great Royal Albert Hall filled and even jammed, and sometimes as many turned away as got in, though it would seat ten thousand people by actual count and stand two thousand more in the dome. On the opening night of these meetings, a leading reporter of the City of London came to me before the service began and said, You have taken this building for two consecutive months? Yes. And you expect to fill it every day? Yes. Why, he said, no one has ever attempted to hold two weeks consecutive meetings here of any kind. Gladstone himself could not fill it for two weeks, and you really expect to fill it for two months? I replied, Come and see. He came and he saw. On the last night, when the place was jammed to its utmost capacity, and thousands outside clamored for admission, he came to me again, and I said, Has it been filled? He smiled and said, It has. But what filled it? No show on earth could have filled it once a day for many consecutive days. The preacher was no remarkable orator. He had no gift of wit and humor. He would not have exercised it if he had. The newspapers constantly called attention to the fact that he was no orator, but the crowds came and came and came. Rainy days and sunny days, they crowded in or stood outside, often in a downpour of rain, in the vain hope of getting in. What drew them? The uplifted Christ preached and sung in the power of the Holy Spirit, given in answer to the daily prayers of 40,000 people scattered throughout the earth. In Liverpool, Tournament Hall sat around 12,500 comfortably. It was located in a very out-of-the-way part of the city, several blocks from the nearest streetcar line, perhaps half a mile from all the regular streetcar lines. 
That hall was filled night after night for three months, and on the last night they crowded 15,000 people into the building at 7 o'clock, then emptied it and crowded another 15,000 people in who had been patiently waiting outside. 30,000 people were drawn in a single night. By what? By whom? Not by the preacher, not by the singer, but by him who had said nearly 1,900 years before, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. The Exact Meaning of the Text First, notice who the speaker is and what the circumstances were under which he spoke. The speaker was our Lord Jesus, not the Christ of men's imaginings, but the Christ of reality, the Christ of actual historical fact, not the Christ of Mary Baker Eddy's silly fantasy, or of Madame Besant's mystical imaginings, but the Christ of actuality, the Christ who lived here among men, and was seen, heard, and touched by men, and who was soon to die a real death to save real sinners from a real hell to a real heaven is the speaker. These were the circumstances. Certain Greeks among those who had come to worship at the Jewish feast came to the Apostle Philip and said, we would see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew and told Andrew what these Greeks said. Andrew and Philip together came and told Jesus. In the heart cry of these Greeks, we would see Jesus, our Lord recognized the yearning of the universal heart, the heart of the Greek as well as the Jew, for a satisfying Savior. The Greeks had their philosophers and sages. There would be satisfiers and saviors. The greatest the world has ever known— Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Epictetus, Epimenides, and many others. But they did not save, and they did not satisfy, and the Greeks cried, We would see Jesus. In their eagerness, Jesus foresaw the millions of all nations who would flock to him when he had been crucified as the universal Savior, meeting all the needs of all mankind. So he cried, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. In the second place, notice the words, If I be lifted up. To what does Jesus refer? The next verse answers the question. Scripture. But this, he said, signifying by what manner of death he should die. John chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus referred to his lifting up on the cross to die as an atoning Savior for all mankind. This verse is often quoted as if it meant that if we lifted up Christ in our preaching, he would draw men. That is true, and it is a crying shame that we do not hold just him up more in our preaching, and we would draw far more people if we did. But that is not our Lord's meaning. The lifting up clearly referred to his being lifted up by his enemies on the cross to expose him to awful shame and to an agonizing death, not to his not being lifted up in our preaching. It is the crucified Christ who draws. It is the crucified Christ who meets the deepest needs of the hearts of all mankind. It is an atoning Savior, a Savior who atones for the sins of men by his death and thus saves them from the holy wrath of an infinitely holy God, who meets the needs of men and thus draws all men, for all men are sinners. Preach any Christ but a crucified Christ, and you will not draw men for long. Preach any gospel but a gospel of atoning blood, 
and it will not draw for long. Unitarianism does not draw men. Unitarian churches are born only to die. Their corpses strew New England today. Many of their ministers have been intellectually among the most brilliant our country has ever known, but their churches, even under scholarly and brilliant ministers, die, die, die. Why? Because Unitarianism presents a gospel without atoning blood, and Jesus has said, and history has proven it true, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Christian Science strangely so-called, for it has been truly said, is neither Christian nor scientific. It draws crowds of men and women of a certain type, men and women who have or imagine that they have physical ailments, and will follow anything, no matter how absurd, that promises them a little relief from their real or imagined pains. It also draws crowds who wish to imagine that they have some religion without paying the price of true religion, genuine love, real self-sacrifice, and costly sympathy. But Christian science does not draw all men, that is, all kinds and conditions and ranks of men. In fact, for the most part, it does not draw men at all but women, and the alleged men it draws are for the most part women in trousers and men who see an easy way to make a living by preying upon the credulity of luckless females. No, a bloodless gospel a gospel with a Christ, but not a Christ lifted up on a cross, does not meet the universal needs of men. It does not draw all men. Congregationalism of late years has been sadly stained with Unitarianism. In spite of the fact that it has been an eyewitness to Unitarianism's steady decay and death, Congregationalism has largely dropped the atoning blood out of its theology, and consequently it is rapidly failing. Its once-great Andover Seminary is still great in the size of its endowment that was given for the teaching of Bible orthodoxy, but the conscienceless teachers of its bloodless theology have deliberately exploited their damnable heresies. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 Though still great in the number of its professors, they only graduated at their annual graduating exercises last spring just three men, one a Japanese, one a Hindu, and one an American. A theology without a crucified Savior, without the atoning blood, won't draw people. It does not meet the need. No, no, the words of our Lord are still true. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. And third, notice the words, draw all men. Does all men mean all individuals? or men of all races? Did Jesus mean that every man and woman who lived on this earth would be drawn to him, or did he mean that men of all races would be drawn to him? The context answers the question. The Greeks, as we have seen, came to one of the apostles, Philip, and said, We would see Jesus. And Philip had gone and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip had gone and told Jesus. Our Lord's ministry during His earthly life was to Jews only. With the coming of these Greeks so soon before His death, our Lord saw the foreshadowing of the coming days when by His death on the cross the barrier between Jews and Gentiles would be torn down, and all nations would have their opportunity equally with the Jews. 
He knew that by his atoning death on the cross, men of all nations would be drawn to him. He did not say that he would draw every individual, but that he would draw all races of men, Greeks as well as Jews, Romans, Scythians, French, English, Germans, Japanese, Americans, and men of all nations. He is a universal Savior, and true Christianity is a universal religion. Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism, and all other religions except Christianity are religions of a restricted application. Christianity with a crucified Christ as its center is a universal religion and meets the needs of all mankind. It meets the needs of the American as well as the needs of the Asian, the needs of the West as well as the needs of the Orient, the needs of the American Indian and the needs of the African American. Our Lord said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. No race has ever been found anywhere on this earth to which the gospel did not appeal and whose deepest need the crucified Christ did not meet. Many years ago, Charles Darwin, the eminent English scientist, came in contact with the tribe from Tierra del Fuego in their gross degradation. He publicly declared that here was a people to whom it was vain to send missionaries, for the gospel could not do anything for them. But brave men of God went there and took the gospel to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. They demonstrated that it met the need of the Fuegans with such great results that Charles Darwin publicly admitted his mistake and became a regular subscriber to the work. The gospel, with a crucified Christ as its center, meets the needs of all conditions and classes of men, as well as of all races. It meets the need of the millionaire and the need of the pauper. It meets the need of great men of science like James D. Dana and Lord Kelvin, and the need of the man or woman who cannot read nor write. It meets the need of the king on the throne and the need of the laborer in the ditch. I have seen with my own eyes noblemen and servant girls, university deans and men who could scarcely read, prisoners in penitentiaries and leaders in moral uplift, brilliant lawyers and dull, plodding workingmen come under its attraction and saved by its power. But it was only because I made Christ crucified and His atoning work the center of my preaching. In the fourth place, notice the words unto me. I will draw all men unto me. The revised version reads, unto myself, and that was just what Jesus said. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. It is not to a creed or a system of doctrine that Jesus draws men, but to a person, to himself. That is what we need. A person, Jesus himself. As he himself once said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Creeds and confessions of faith are all right in their place. They are of great value. The organized church is of great value. It is indispensable, and it is the most important institution in the world today. Society would soon go to rack and ruin without it. We are all under solemn obligation to God and to our fellow man to support it and belong to it. But creeds and confessions of faith cannot save. The church cannot save. The divine person Jesus Christ can save, and He alone. 
So he says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Why Christ Lifted Up Draws All Men Unto Himself But why does Christ lifted up on the cross, the crucified Christ, draw all men unto Himself? There are two reasons. First, Christ crucified draws all men unto Himself because Christ crucified meets the first, the deepest, the greatest and most fundamental need of man. What is man's first, greatest, deepest, most fundamental need? A Savior. A Savior from what? First of all, and underlying all else, a Savior from the guilt of sin. Every man of every race has sinned. As Paul put it in Romans chapter 3, verses 22-24, through 24, There is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile at this point. Nor is there any difference between English and German at this point. There is no difference between American and Japanese at this point, and no difference between European and Asian. No difference between the American and the African. There is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every man of every race is a sinner. There is no difference at this point. And every man will answer for his sin to the infinitely holy God who rules this universe. Therefore, all men need an atoning Savior, who can by his atoning death make propitiation for and so cover up our sins. He can thus reconcile us to this holy God, deliver us from his awful wrath, and bring us into the glorious sunlight of his favor. And Jesus lifted up is the only atoning Savior in the universe. He alone was at the same time God and man, so He alone can make atonement for sin. He has made the perfect atonement, and God has accepted His atonement and testified to His acceptance of His atonement by raising Him from the dead. The Lord Jesus actually meets our need. He actually meets every man's first, greatest, deepest, most fundamental need, and He alone. In all of the universe, no other religion but Christianity even offers an atoning Savior. Islam offers Muhammad, the prophet, a teacher, but not a Savior. Buddhism offers Buddha, supposedly at least a wonderful teacher, the light of Asia, but not an atoning Savior. Confucianism offers Confucius, a marvelous teacher far ahead of his time, but not an atoning Savior. No religion offers an atoning Savior, an atonement of any real character except Christianity. This is the radical point of difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Yet some fool preachers are trying to eliminate this from Christianity, the very point of radical difference from all other religions. But such an emasculated Christianity will not reach the needs of men and will not draw men. It never has, and it never will. The Bible and history are in agreement on this point. Jesus Christ offers Himself lifted up on the cross to redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse in our behalf. Scripture Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 Men know their need. They may try to forget it, 
deny it, or drown their sense of it by drink, distraction, or wild pleasure-seeking and wild money-getting. They may listen to fake preachers in supposedly orthodox pulpits, like one who in this city declared recently that the old sense of sin is fast disappearing, and added, the change is for the better, not for the worse. He spoke also of imaginary and artificial sins like the sin of unbelief. He went on to say, In this we agree with Christ, apparently not knowing enough about the Bible to know that Jesus himself was the very one who said in John chapter 16 verses 8 through 9, And he, when he is come, will convict the world in respect of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me. But in spite of all our attempts to drown or stupefy or silence our sense of sin, our consciousness of guilt before a holy God, we all have it, like Banquo's ghost in Macbeth, will not hold down our guilt. Nothing gives the guilty conscience abiding peace except the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Christ lifted up draws all men unto him, and even wicked ministers of Satan, like the preacher I have just referred to, sometimes come to their senses and flee to the real Christ, Christ crucified, as I hope this one may. Yes, Jesus, Jesus only, Jesus lifted up on the cross, Jesus crucified for our sins, making full atonement for our sins, He and He alone meets the deepest need of us all, and so His cross draws us all unto Himself. Happy is the man or the woman who yields to that drawing. Woe to the man or woman who resists that drawing. Final gloom, despondency, and despair are their lot. O oh, many men and women who have had their eyes open to the facts and see their awful guilt, but have plunged into the deepest despair have come to me. I pointed them to Jesus on the cross and showed them by God's word that all their sins were laid upon him and thus settled. They have come to him and believed God's testimony about him, that he had borne all their sins in his own body on the cross. They have found perfect peace and boundless joy, and that is the only way to find perfect peace and boundless joy. Will you set out to find peace? If you do not, great gloom and utter despair await you some day in this world or in the world to come. In my first pastorate, I tried to get a man to come to Christ lifted up, to meet his need of pardon. Even though it was many years ago, he held to the theology that is preached as new theology today and sought to still the voice of conscience and stupefy his sense of sin by denying his guilt and his need of an atoning Savior. He did not wish to listen to me or to see me, but the hour came when death was near. Cancer was eating its way through scalp and skull into his brain. Then he cried to those around his dying bed, Send for Mr. Tory. I hurried to his side. He was in despair. Oh, he said, Dr. Tildhall tells me that I have but a short time to live. As soon as this cancer gets a little further and eats through the thin film of skull and touches the brain, I am a dead man. Tell me how to be saved. I sat down beside him and told him what to do to be saved. I tried to make as plain as I knew how the way of salvation through the uplifted Christ, Christ uplifted on the cross. And I think I know how to make it plain. But he had waited too long. He could not grasp it. 
I stayed with him. Night came on. I said to his family, You have been up night after night with him. I will sit with him tonight. They instructed me what to do, how to minister to him. Time after time during the night I had to go to another room to get some nourishment for him, and as I would come back into the room where he lay, from his bed in the corner I would hear his constant cry, Oh, I wish I were a Christian. Oh, I wish I were a Christian. Oh, I wish I were a Christian. And thus he died. In the second place, Christ lifted up on the cross, Christ crucified, draws all men unto him, because lifted up there to die for us, he reveals his wonderful love and the wondrous love of the Father for us. Scripture Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 And God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 There is nothing that draws men like love. Love draws all men in every climate, but no other love draws like the love of God. John chapter 3, verse 16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, has broken thousands of hard hearts. One night, preaching in my own church in Minneapolis, the whole choir stayed for the after-meeting. The leading soprano was an intelligent young woman, but was living a worldly life. She remained with the rest. In the after-meeting, her mother rose in the back of the church and said, I wish you would pray for the conversion of my daughter. I did not look around but knew instinctively that her daughter's cheeks were flushing and her eyes flashing with anger. As soon as the meeting was dismissed, I hurried down so that I could meet her before she left the church. As she came toward me, I held out my hand to her. She stamped her foot and with flashing eyes cried, Mr. Tory, my mother knows better than to do that. She knows it will only make me worse. I said, Sit down, Cora. She sat down, and without any argument I opened my Bible to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. I began to read. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. She burst into tears, and the next night accepted Jesus Christ. I had to go to Duluth for a few days, and when I returned, I found that this young woman was seriously ill. One morning, her brother came hurrying up to my home and said that she was apparently dying, that she was unconscious and white from the loss of blood. I hastened down, and as I entered the room, she lay there with her eyes closed, and with the whitest face I ever saw on one who was not actually dead. She was apparently unconscious, scarcely breathing. I knelt by her side to pray, more for the sake of the mother who stood beside the bed than for her, for I supposed that she was beyond helping or hearing. But no sooner had I finished my prayer than in a clear, full, richly musical tone she began to pray. These were the essence of her words. Heavenly Father, if it be your will, raise me up, that as I have used my voice for myself and only to please myself, I may use my voice for your glory. But if in your wisdom you see that it is best for me not to live, I shall be glad to go to be with Christ. And she went to be with Christ. 
Oh, I have seen thousands melted as I have repeated to them and shown them the picture of Christ on the cross as told in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. A few days ago I received a missionary magazine containing a testimony from a person who was going to Egypt under the Egypt General Mission. This young missionary said, When I was twelve years old, during the Tory Alexander meetings in 1904, I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Tory spoke on the text Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, and he asked us to repeat the words with him, but changed the word our to the word my. While repeating the text in this way, I suddenly realized, as if for the first time, that Jesus had really suffered all this for me, and there and then I gave my life to him. O men and women, look now. See Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross. See him hanging on that awful cross. See him wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities, with the chastisement of your peace laid on him. O men and women living in sin, men and women rejecting Christ for the world, men and women who have looked to the lies of Christian science, Unitarianism, and other systems that deny his atoning blood, listen. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Won't you yield to that love? Won't you give up your sin, give up your worldly pleasures, give up your willful errors, and accept the Savior who loves you and died for you? He was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities, and upon him the chastisement of your peace was laid. Accept him right now.